Welcome to the LeanZone.com podcast, where we discuss construction contracts, liens, and bonds. And now, our host, Alex Barthet. So, let's talk about some issues to be aware of with respect to uh, insuring a job. Uh, almost always, in the subcontract, it's going to require that the owner and the contractor be listed as an additional insureds under the policy. Pretty standard stuff. You want to verify that through the course of the job, you actually have coverage. When someone gives you a certificate of insurance, it usually uh, lists a period of time for that policy, which is usually a year. Your project may run over that period of time. If so, do, did you get another certificate of insurance? Contractors that are really on point calendar uh, in advance of when the certificate of insurance is set to expire to make sure that they get another one. And one of the things that they do, the ones that are really on point, is they coordinate the, that issue with your payment. So sometimes as a sub, you'll show up to get your check and they say, nope, can't give you your check. I need a new certificate of insurance. Those contractors are running a pretty tight ship uh, with respect to their paperwork. Um, if you have a certificate of insurance that uh, has a policy period that has expired, uh, there may be no insurance. You have to be careful. As well, and maybe this is a shock to some of you, but there are insurance certificates floating around South Florida that are completely fake. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. So if you have any doubt that you have a certificate of insurance that's real, what you do is you pick up the phone to the agent that issued the certificate and you ask him to verify the, uh, that he issued that certificate. We have had clients come to us and they say, can you believe it? We picked up the phone and I asked and they said, oh yeah, he came in and bought a policy. I issued him seven certificates, and then he canceled the policy. So you now have a certificate that says you have a policy that's good for a year, and that policy is no good because it was canceled, and you never got notice of that cancellation. So if you have any doubt that the certificate is good, you need to verify it with the agent. All right, next, indemnification. Indemnification is a... Uh, is an obligation that you, as a sub, that you assume that says you will uh, effectively fix and pay for problems that may or may not be your fault. Um, and there's a specific statute in Florida that governs and limits the uh, what, can be, what you can indemnify someone for. The section of that statute is 725.06. Um, and the idea is that it's a statute that says there are certain limits on how much indemnification a sub can give a contractor. Before the statute existed, contractors demanded that the sub have insurance, and then they would demand that the sub indemnify them for anything and everything under the sun. Um, and the legislature said, that's probably extreme. So let's put some limits on what a contractor can require a sub to indemnify them for. So 
Um, one, it has to, uh, the statute requires a cap on the amount of indemnity, uh, and it cannot be for the willful or intentional misconduct of the party being indemnified. So let me give you an example. Uh, you, it is illegal, it's not enforceable to indemnify somebody else for their own uh, willful misconduct. So uh, let's say, we'll pick a simple example. You are an electrician uh, and you're building a house for a contractor. That contractor, um, in the middle of the night, he gets drunk and he falls asleep with a cigarette in his hand and he burns the house down, right? And then he uh, looks at his indemnification provision in his contract and he comes to you and he says, yep, you've agreed to indemnify me for my own uh, willful misconduct. You need to now rebuild the house, your scope of the house, and I don't have to pay you anything for it. Sounds pretty unfair. And the legislature said, no, we're not going to make someone indemnify somebody else for their own willful misconduct. Um, that being said, there's still a big scope that the statute allows someone to be indemnified for. We're going to talk about that. So in short, you can uh, indemnify somebody. That means pay them for losses and damages that they suffer caused by you. That makes sense, right? If you make the mistake, you have to pay for it. That's not a shocker to anybody. But so long as it's not willful, someone can still demand that you indemnify them for their own conduct. So they do something wrong, negligently, which is a low standard, and you may still have to pay them for that. One of the reasons that I'm telling you you should take your contracts and send them to your insurance agent is these are the types of things that your insurance agent will pick up on. A good insurance agent will read that and say, hey, just want to let you know, You've agreed to indemnify them for these things, and you may not have coverage for that, right? Because most people perceive, well, if someone knocks on my door and I have to pay for a loss like this, I'll just tender it to my insurance company. Your insurance may not cover certain things that you are agreeing to indemnify someone for. So that may be a gap that you can try to fill. Okay, so let's take a look at a provision. To the fullest extent permitted by law, subcontractor shall defend, indemnify, and hold harmless contractor and owner and their directors, officers, shareholders, employees, and agents against any and all losses, liability, costs, claims, causes of action, suits, damages, and expenses, including reasonable attorney's fees arising out of or resulting from the act, omission, or default in whole or in part of the subcontractor its, sub -sub its subcontractors or their respective employees or agents. Pretty broad statement. Um, notice that it also includes the word defend. Um, defend is important because that means paying someone else for their legal fees, right? So, so a claim happens and they knock on your door and they say, look, we have to deal with this claim. You've agreed to indemnify and defend us. Here's our very expensive lawyer. We expect you to pay for him or her. Um, while they fight this fight. Uh, so understand that that's what the word defend in that statement means. So I told you that Section 725 limits what, what 
can be indemnified for, and those limits are typically in the, in the paragraph. So in this one, it says, this indemnity shall be limited to a million dollars, which the parties agree bears a reasonable commercial relationship to the contract. Uh, nothing herein shall, requ shall require the indemnitor to indemnify the indemnity for damages to persons or property caused in whole or in part by any act, omission, or default of the party other than the indemnitor, any of the indemnitor's contractors, subcontractors, where's the good part? Hold on. There it is. Moreover, such indemnification shall not include claims of or damages resulting from gross negligent or willful and wanton or intentional misconduct. That's the example of the drunk guy falling asleep with a cigarette in his hand. So this limits what you can do and attracts chapter 725. Um, so what is a subcontractor to do? Uh, so you can include a, stent, a sentence that says uh, that the subcontractor shall uh, indemnify only for those claims or costs resulting from or attributable directly and solely to subcontractors' own misconduct or negligent acts. So you say, look, I will indemnify you for things that I do wrong, but I'm not indemnifying you for the things that you or other people do wrong. Again, a pretty reasonable approach. Another thing you can do um, is you could say something like, not only this, but you could say that you, tr that you want to limit your indemnity obligation to the insurance that you have, right? So you want to say, I will indemnify you for my own, uh, excuse me, my own mistakes only to the extent that it's covered by my insurance, right? So then that, that to some degree kind of takes you out of the picture, which is the best position for you as a sub to be in. Remember as a contractor that if, if you agree to something like that, you may find yourself with no indemnity because if, you, uh, if there's no coverage then, and the indemnity is contingent on insurance coverage, then you may get nothing. Assignments of your contract uh, or a provision in your contract preventing assignment is, is pretty common. This episode is brought to you by the Miami Construction Forum. This invitation-only group of construction professionals of all sizes and trades meets monthly for an informal lunch and learn session on current topics of interest, from getting paid and safety to bonding and insurance. To see the upcoming topics and request your invitation, visit MiamiConstructionForum.com. A contractor wants to know that when they hire you, that they're hiring you and that you are not going to just assign that work to somebody else, right? So uh, consider it like a house flipping in construction, right? You buy a house, you flip it, someone else, you sell it to somebody else, right? So you get a really good deal on a contract, on a subcontract, and you say, you know what? I'm going to assign this from me to somebody else. They write me a check. I'm out of this thing. There's a provision in most contracts that prevent you as a sub from assigning the rights that you have uh, in your contract to somebody else. However, what it doesn't do is it doesn't typically prevent you from subcontracting out parts of your work to other people. So if you're a sub, you may sub-sub things out, and that's okay. So the provision looks like 
Nothing herein shall prevent subcontractor from engaging subcontractors and suppliers to perform a portion of the work. However, subcontractors shall be and remain fully responsible for all persons directly or indirectly employed by such subcontractor and, sub and suppliers as subcontractor is for its own acts and omissions and those of its agents, servants, and employees. The contractor always wants to be able to look back to the sub and say, if something goes wrong, it's your fault, no matter that the subcontractor has decided to sub out some of the work. Okay, we don't have a provision for this, but one of the things that contracts typically have as well uh, is a requirement that the subcontractor assign to the contractor their, the, sub, the subcontractor's rights in any uh, subcontracts or material orders. Let me give you an example. If you are a contractor and there is some specialty, uh, let, let's say you're a sub, sorry, you're a contractor, you hire an electrician who then hires, uh, has to get a generator. Now that generator may be a, what, a 16-week lead time item. And you want to make sure as the contractor that if anything were to happen with the subcontractor that you can jump in and grab that special item purchase order so that you don't lose it, right? You don't want the generator contractor to say, no, I don't have a contract with you. I'm, I'm not giving you this generator. Um, so the way you do that is with the, a, the assignment provision that you require your subs to assign to you all the rights that you have in your subcontracts and purchase orders. Um, and it's important because if you have a sub that goes out of business, you want to be able to uh, keep the job going. There is an obligation, so this next one is compliance with laws and contract documents. Every law that exists uh, applicable to the contract that you're in is automatically incorporated into your contract. So saying that you are obligated to follow the law as a contract provision is in effect redundant. You don't need to say that, um, but many contracts say that, and then they actually go one step further, and they list a whole bunch of things that they make sure that you as a sub are obligated to follow. So there, it, it's no surprise to you, there's an obligation that you comply with all laws. It applies to the mundane, such as obstructing traffic, uh, to issues more complicated like the building code and uh, Americans with Disabilities Act and the license statute. So even though it doesn't recite all of those things, you are obligated to comply with all of those obligations. So here's a sample provision. Each party shall, at its own expense, obtain all necessary licenses and permits permitting, uh, pertaining to the work and comply with all federal, state, and local statutes, ordinances, laws, rules, regulations, and orders as may be applicable to it and to the work and the performance thereof, including but not limited to those relating to occupation, permitting, building codes, taxes, environment, hazardous materials, safety, wages, discrimination, equal employment opportunity. Each party shall promptly correct any violation of such statutes, ordinance, rules, regulations, and orders uh, committed by it, its agents, services, and, and employees. So, you violate a law, this says you got to fix it on your dime. Um, it's important that you understand that 
if you identify a problem in the, in the contract documents and you ignore it, and that, and that mistake that you should have found constitutes the violation of a law, a provision like this says you're going to have to fix it. So ADA is a perfect example, right? Um, you know, you're a contractor and uh, you're building a ramp, right? There's a certain slope that that ramp has to have. And you identified it in the plans, oh, they want a ramp like this? No, they, it, it's not going to meet the ADA, I'm going to keep going. A year later, the job is done. Uh, someone comes in and says, nope, that ramp doesn't meet the requirement. They can come back and say, well, you should have known that you, when you were building this ramp, uh, it didn't comply with the ADA. We have a client now who is uh, um, doing a pump station. And the pump station has a, the, the plan has a problem with it. And to figure out how to fix this problem, they need to um, sheet pile an area and then send in some divers to try to figure something out. The problem is that where they need to put the divers is where uh, there are live underground power lines, right? So my guy's saying, we're not doing this. We're not going in the water. And the, the county's consultant is saying, this is your fault. I mean, this is your problem. You figure it out how you want to get, do what you want to do. And he says, well, I can, but I got to do this and this, another crane, more sheet pile. And they said, well, we're not signing any change orders. So uh, for that. So yeah, so I mean, sometimes during the course of construction, you need, you know, these issues uh, come to a head and you have to make a business decision. What are you going to do? Are we going to fight it now? Are we going to fight it later? Are we going to are we going to keep going and then hire a lawyer to fight about it at the same time? No, there's no right answer. There's no one size fits all to, uh, to these issues. Um, but yeah, I, I would be very careful about proceeding if you know something is wrong or you know something, right? If you know that it's a safety violation, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Because then you keep going and someone gets hurt. Right? Now you have a problem because you have a piece of paper that said, I know this is a safety problem. I shouldn't do it. And I did it anyways. Thanks for listening to the LeanZone.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast app. For articles, videos, and forms on this and other construction topics, head over to the LeanZone.com.